from the journals of Sergeants Greg Downing and Toby Skeels Jungius, February 2022. After two years of analyzing the stories of the New Century multiverse, it's amazing to look back on where we've been. We've traveled from the dark rooms of Ravenwood to the untamed wilds of West Virginia. From the jungles of Rama to the reclaimed streets and halls of power in Washington, D.C. We've looked at the deep past and the beginnings of this changed world thanks to the coming of the Wind Doors. We've gotten glimpses into its ever-expanding future, both in the hub world of Centrum, Centrum and beyond. We've had many in-depth discussions with this world's creators and been gifted with the responsibility of guarding the Wind Door. We've spoken with the other voices of this world and made a lot of new friends along the way. And we still have many places yet to go to visit the British Isles and the forests of Kelador. Celador. To return to the world of Rama as it expands wide for us and cast our eyes to the wonders of autumn. But before we can continue on our journey, we first have to cover the big one. The story that was the culmination of over six years of storytelling, all on its own. The journey of James and Abigail. Of Annie and Frank. Of Harry and Jeremy. And many others besides. These are the chronicles of the journey we take together. The journey of Steamheart, and one we invite you to take with us through, through the, the wind. wind door. So, Toby. Yes, Greg. It's just occurred to me that close to a year ago now, you and I collaborated, sort of, on something that's not our usual bailiwick. Uh, we said together, hey, we'd like to commission a show on Murder on the Orient Express from Alex. And mm -hmm. at one point he was saying, I would happily accept that commission. But I'm also interested in contributing towards getting you some new microphones for Through the Window. So if I did it for free, would you take the money that uh, you were originally going to give me and put that towards getting some Yeni microphones? And we said yes. As a result, I'm aware of the fact that you and I are both fans of Kenneth Branagh's portrayal of Hercule Poirot. And I'm curious how you feel about the fact that the next movie, Death on the Nile, is imminently coming out. Excited. I, earlier today, was saying to Sarah, so next week we're going to see Death on the Nile, right? And <laughs> the answer was yes. Sarah has been a long fan of a bunch of Agatha Christie, and when you hear everyone sort of critiquing Kenneth Branagh and all of this because, oh, you know, David Suchet is much better, and there's already, I think, like, you can have both. Considering that David Suchet adapted every single one of these bloody things, we're not being deprived of content for that. This is just a different take on it. And mm -hmm. we both really, really loved 
the first one and are excited at the prospect of going back there after so long. It makes me curious then about going and experiencing David Suchet's take on Poirot than myself, because I've heard it mm. referenced to, I've heard it's very good. I didn't want to go all the way back and watch the original Murder on the Orient Express movie mm. because it was back during a time that was I felt was just kind of less not bad at necessarily storytelling or movie making or anything like that, but I thought the modernizations of making mm-hmm. the cast of the new Murder on the Orient Express more diverse mm. meant that I would probably be less impressed by whatever casting decisions they made in the past. Mm. Also, I, I sort of just love the way Brana sort of just dove into that character and gave him an amazing degree of personal empathy. And I wasn't entirely sure if that element would really be captured during a time when they might have perceived Poirot to be a different character, maybe a little bit more clinical, like Sherlock himself was often described to be. I think that the difficulty with that is that your options are so wide ranging, and especially because depending on which story you pick up, you might be looking at things that were sporadically produced and released over literal decades apart from one another. So mm-hmm. there is actually a certain degree of change in like filming techniques and directing approaches and even runtime. A lot of the earlier things they did are done within the space of a 60-minute affair, whereas mm. later on they're functionally feature-length things with like two hours of runtime for mm-hmm. each one because they were more of an event when they came out naturally as a result of that you're going to get a widespread of the different things that different writers and people are going to do with the character but i think that what david suchet succeeds at is a sense of what kind of brana was hitting on which is that sense of things needing to be as they are mm. like, and you get that without him necessarily needing to directly address that but he will have this way of a lot of Agatha Christie's uh, lead characters if they're some of her more popular detective characters have this sense of being underestimated mm. one of the other popular detectives she had who appeared in multiple uh, stories was a character called Miss Marple which yes, is this yes elderly woman who is figuring out all these things and with Poirot there's a degree of that because he isn't this like particularly with Suchet's take on the detective he's not someone who appears to be particularly physically active a lot of the time he'll have someone with him who does a lot of that as well but nevertheless when he will get going his sense of indignancy Mm. will essentially create a commanding air to it and the cliche knives out sort of Mm. version of the parlor scene where he the detective walks through exactly how things are he will conduct it and look at how the details line up but as he gets to the point at which he talk about when the person came in, they could not feel anything but this. They had, they could not conceive of the fact that they could live in a world without this. So you did the only thing that you could do in this situation, and you murdered her. And there is this mm. intenseness to it. 
The reason I ask is mm -hmm. it's occurred to me that we're coming up on our two-year anniversary now. Mm -hmm. And I, I count our anniversary as specifically the very first time we got onto Skype and recorded us talking about New Century. Mm -hmm. Not because, obviously, we know that there's a large gap between when we first started recording and when the first episodes were actually released, because it took me forever to get over my personal internal stuff about sitting down and editing this and putting mm -hmm. it into the world for public consumption and everything like that. Mm -hmm. The very first time that we recorded was February 22nd of 2020. Wow. And that means with that with two years of us doing this, uh, I was thinking about switching up the formula a little bit. Because, as you know, <gasps> we begin every session with my specific introduction, the words where I introduce you to us, your friends, and what we're here to talk about. And I thought maybe at the start... I could take a page out of James Stephanie Sterling's playbook, and instead we could just talk for several minutes about something that has nothing to do with the subject of what we usually do our podcast on. <laughs> but then I forgot that part of the reason why Steph Sterling does that is because they're entirely tired of talking about video games at this point. They would rather talk about anything but <laughs> games because of all the bullshit that's going on, whereas you and I love talking about new century at one point i was suggesting to you that i needed to take like a little bit of a break because mm -hmm. i was feeling run down I, I needed to not be you know living up to my regular personal deadline of having mm -hmm. something to go at the end of every week to put out into the world and yet with everything slowed down the way it did and having all this content to edit for the um, interviews over the last month, I suddenly found myself pining. I found myself needing to hear your voice and to do the thing that we've honed our craft at to talk mm -hmm. about New Century. And it just got to the point where I was like, I need to sit down and do this thing with Toby because Steamheart is next. I can't wait to talk about Steamheart. I was almost champing at the bit and being like, can you be ready to go next week? You know, is that possible? Like, it's just some notes. Can you be ready to go? And, just, and you were like, oh, I, I could use a little bit extra time to prepare. I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's perfectly reasonable. I can wait. Which? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what you're saying is, Greg, that people keep asking you if you're back. And now you're thinking, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Yes. Yes, I'm thinking I'm back. Uh, Fantastic. I'm here for it. <laughs> you've noticed over the time that we've been doing this that I do reflect a lot on the past. One of the things that I've come to appreciate more and more is that as you and I have gotten better about talking about New Century, it's made us more confident in every other creative endeavor we do. You've mm. mentioned how being able to talk about this has helped you with your studies and mm. presenting your work to your peers uh, in academia and everything like that. And other, I feel like other people have noticed as well that we've gotten better about talking about the things that we enjoy. We've been invited on multiple occasions now to talk on School of Movies. Our first endeavor together that was not this was being on the Hades podcast You've been on the Metal Gear show and the Castlevania Dynasty show. 
well, I employed a little bit of time travel with the Metal Gear show because that was uh, a whole different flat ago uh, when uh, Alex yeah, uh, recorded that. That, in fact, was prior to Through the Wind Door because he had been keeping that in the pot and waiting to bring it out, I guess. I cannot uh, sort of speculate on uh, it, is, except for I can definitely see that there would be a lot of like things that you keep thinking, oh, we want to get this show out for this, mm-hmm. and like it was in the bank. I like didn't really mind or particularly speculate that much why it was uh, in it for a while, but uh, it came out, and it's almost a treat because you forget what you said after a couple <laughs> of years pass. You're just like. Huh, that's a good point past me. Thanks, me. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, I've gotten to expound on my own thoughts about Falcon of the Winter Soldier, the movie mm-hmm. Free Guy, and in a few weeks, people are going to get to hear what I had to think about the Hawkeye show. Very excited about having you hear about that. Although, again, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of a nudge because I know you haven't watched that show yet. You probably want to see it before we spoil it for you in any fashion. But still, everything in its own time. I I like the timing of this. I like Mm. the fact that in a couple of weeks, it's going to be our anniversary. And we're capping our anniversary off by talking about Steamheart. Because this is the big one. This is the <laughs> this is the literary event that Alex likes to joke nearly killed him. I you know it's got to be good if the author nearly died in the process. <laughs> I mean, we don't want um any harm to come to anybody uh in any artistic circumstance looking over at a certain actor's portrayal of the Joker and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But Way back when, right around the time you and I started recording on this, Alex sent me a little snippet of a Excel document that showed the exact timing of the creation of and the release of all the stories in the New Century Multiverse up to that point. It was all the way up to Uncivil Outlaw. And Steamheart is one of those entries that has to have multiple extra rows because he began officially writing it all the way back in March of 2017. He stopped around May of that same year, at which point he started working on other things, specifically Princess Thieves, and then after that, the Christmas Thieves, and then after that, Let Them Go, which brought them all the way up to July of 2018. He resumed the work on Steamheart in November of 2018 and finished in August of 2019. Wow. Yeah, this has been a work that has been a long time brewing. The fact that we're looking at this and there are so many chapters to get through is kind of an indication of how big this is going to be. Yeah. Uh, We've been we've been joking a lot about like how long we're probably going to spend on this because of how long we spend on each part. And like in anticipation of this very session, Greg and I were sort of discussing like what it is we do because we essentially take something that is already rich in content and quality and character, which is namely the material of New Century, and we try to mine it for and expand on it for like 
hours at a time. Like mm-hmm. we take something that, you know, if we're looking at four chapters, that's about an hour's worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we can make that into like three hours of just <laughs> like, you know, we often talk about how sometimes podcasts will go on for the full length of the actual film itself. But yeah. I think we <laughs> trump that by... Uh, it's difficult to use that word these days, isn't it? Yeah, but it is, we yeah. beat that by tripling our sort of runtime of it. So it's sort of like a weird alchemy, or you discuss you described it as harvesting. The mm-hmm. there's a rich crop out there, and we till the soil. We I don't know. It, it's been a while since I knew exactly what farming is. Or the point is, we make the good shit. I mean. The good shit is already there. This is why we don't actually write, or at least I don't actually write it, is it's there and I pontificate about it. Greg is there to rein me in. I'm there to rein him in. And because of that, no one's driving this thing and it means that no one reins us in. And it's good (laughs) stuff. We make purest green out of the most wonderful of harvest material. This metaphor has got away from me, but the point is that this is what we do. We take the thing and we just kind of workshop this. We Mm. talk it through and it's been one of my favorite things to do these last couple of years. And they've been long years. Doing this has helped sharpen the stuff that I like to try to apply to other areas of my studies and research and it's been something that is just a great way to start a friendship with you on and it's just bizarre to think of a point where it's like oh yeah great I sort of like have heard of him periodically through (laughs) like the various things just through listening to Alex and then at one point being like put in contact with you and thinking like oh yeah I've never really spoken to this guy and now you're one of my very dearest friends and there was a widly at post on the discord earlier today which is the sort of pie chart of the cool friends you make on the internet and there's that one percent who are within a drivable distance and then the rest may as well live in fucking narnia or whatever (laughs) we have to open a window for us to talk with one another Mm. and we have another window for just the story itself i'm going on for a long while coffee has been had it's been a good day after a good week so i'm feeling a little bit abuzz and i'm happy to find myself here Mm -hmm. yeah i agree but because we are want to go on let's start getting right into yeah let's exercise some diligence on this thing because there is a long road ahead of us oh yes long road ahead of us for the story in general a long road ahead of us for this pages and pages of notes that we've Mm, uh, written here. Nine pages. As always, or rather, as is the tendency for New Century, we begin with a poem, this time by Emily Dickinson. I don't know a whole lot about her, save that she was born and lived in Massachusetts, my stopping ground. She was introverted to the point of isolation, and had a tendency towards melancholy poems. Uh, My favorite of her poetic works was Parting, which is how the run of Lucifer comics ended, and enticed me with subtle meaning to be understood. It was also a work that Mark Evan Jackson used while hosting The Good Place, the podcast, 
sharing it to great effect at the close of Season 4 of the show. I do want to share it, but we've already spent enough time off-topic, so I'll wait till a more appropriate time. Uh, The poem that begins Steamheart has no title. It's referred to only by its first line, Our Journey Had Advanced, Mm. which, of course, is very appropriate considering the theme of Steamheart. Yeah, we keep using the word journey when we're describing, like, what's ahead of us, and Mm -hmm. I think it's appropriate that we start with a poem like that, but it's also appropriate that we start with a prominent figure in American poetry, given the fact that this is the great American road trip book of new century. And I mean, there is one other contender, but we'll get to that one in time, (laughs) which is regarded as... (laughs) And so like the American road trip is sort of regarded as a staple of classic American literature from what I understand Mm -hmm. from a bunch of British people sitting in uni rooms talking about what great American literature is. So take that for what it is. But uh, Emily Dickinson is also very much of the 19th century. She was born in 1830 and passed away in 1886, which makes her a suitable candidate for the poet to open up Steamheart, which was the book that essentially was New Century for a time. Alex has shared that many of the phase one books were going to be part of one self-contained, massive, even massiver than it currently is book at one point or another. So this was essentially the book of New Century once upon a time. Mm. It's good to start with a poet who feels firmly entrenched within the century that this series preoccupies itself with. The timing is actually quite intriguing now that I think about it, because it makes one wonder what Emily Dickinson's fate was, since the first outbreak was in 1872. Mm. And of course, it didn't actually affect the northern states until a lot longer. But one wonders, like, I get the feeling that her tendency towards isolation would not have prepared her well for interacting with other people in order to get herself to safety and everything Mm -hmm. like that, which brings a bit of, again, a melancholy note onto it. On the other Mm -hmm. hand, I can also picture her looking down at, like, the chaos going on outside and her safely ensconced up in her room and her just sort of sipping her tea and going like, yeah, this is normal. Now, insert dog in a room on fire meme yeah this is fine but yeah let's advance that's kind of a little bit of a depressing topic right there let's actually discuss the poem it seems sure will be a pick pick us up i mean it has gothic imagery in new century the devil you say yeah exactly it seems to be picked because steamheart itself is about as we keep saying a great journey but having looked at some deeper discussion of the poem, I basically had to browse around a little bit online to see what other people thought about this as I was formulating my own thoughts. The journey of the poem is not through physical space, but through life itself. The cities it talks about are less individual destinations, but instead possibly underworlds like heaven or hell 
uh, what with the mention of God being at every gate. Uh, the forest of the dead referred to is possibly not a true forest, haunted or otherwise, but instead a cemetery. Mm. And indeed, this is not a there and back again journey like, say, The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, but instead one which they cannot return from. Uh, behind them is a sealed route, after all. It's certainly a poem that marks a solemn acknowledgement of the forward march into uncertain and frightening territory. The way back to the past is sealed to us now, as you mentioned, and there is no hope of retreat. So we must proceed and face the looming path ahead that stretches into eternity. But in spite of the unknown, in spite of all the fear and reluctant apprehension we may feel... What Dickinson viewed as grace and a comforting hope of some kind of safe destination or loving presence on the horizon is there with God at every gate, mm. as the words from the poem. But in our case here, we concern ourselves with the people left alive in this world. And while we fear the uncertain future of who might be taken from us, hope endures for us and for the characters that the good grace of their companionship with the other characters who remain will still be there at whatever destination the future holds. And as a small aside that was almost certainly not planned at the time and still has a tenuous case for its connection even now, the line Forest of the Dead as we approach a fork in the road makes me think of that one cover image that we saw for Steamheart, you know, the the one of Steamheart making her way through a huge looming forest with the skeletal remains of an unknown person swinging hauntingly amid the branches. Mm. I mean, that certainly feels like a potential like forest of the dead, so I believe that that cover feels emblematic of this poem, which is in itself emblematic of this larger story. We don't actually know the story of the, um, as you say, the cover in which we see a skeleton swinging on the branch of a tree. Obviously, to a certain extent, it could be anyone. The whole idea mm. of hanging someone from a tree is something that's associated with more cultures than my own. But chapter one reminds us that white communities blamed black communities for the Wendigo outbreak. And even though there are no instances of hanging black people, or for that matter, people of any background, anywhere in the text of New Century, both the Cartographer's Handbook and Steamheart relate instances of non-white families being executed via other means. Lynching, as determined by the dictionary, only means for a mob to kill someone without a trial for perceived crimes. And while it's true that a lynching is commonly associated with hanging from a tree, the term does not require that to fulfill its definition. I find myself wondering if Alex avoided invoking that loaded imagery of hanging too directly in his story, except, of course, by implication. It's something that feels like that particular cover, and I won't spend too much longer because, mm -hmm. like I say, that came later and we're talking about the poem, but in terms of our first impression of this book, it feels as if it paints a picture and ties in with images that we would associate with this particular time and place 
while also drawing upon the symbology of the tarot card, the hanged man, this, mm. like, and all the potential. Like, I invoked that without necessarily having a deep knowledge of the hanged man in the sense that like that could actually be like I don't know how he is hanging in mm-hmm. the tarot cards if it is actually like what we consider hangman but it's it's not actually this was a bit of an unexpected tangent for Toby to bring up but given Sharon's love of the tarot and my own familiarity with it it was a topic I decided to explore a little bit and I'm only doing an editorial insert here in order to clean up my own original rambling thoughts on the subject at the time. The version of the tarot that I am most familiar with is the Rider Waite deck, originally published in 1909, and is considered by many to be the definitive version of the tarot, much like the King James version of the Bible. But the depiction of the hanged man in that deck, and most versions of the tarot, is not one of execution via noose. It is instead a man hung by his foot from a scaffold, hands bound behind his back, and a look of solemnity on his face. As it turns out, this form of hanging was used for torture as well as execution, so it can be painful and lethal as the more traditional gallows noose. But the meaning of the card itself has nothing to do with death or something bad happening, and is instead a symbol of wisdom, divination, and self-sacrifice. Indeed, some versions of the tarot deck depict the myth of Odin, who suspended himself from a tree in order to gain knowledge. What does any of this have to do with the poem? To be honest, not a lot. We got onto this tangent discussing the Forest of the Dead reference and got a bit sidetracked. But I nonetheless salvaged it, because discussion of tarot symbolism does come up shortly thereafter, and Toby himself mentioned that he might be applying it to some future discussions in regards to New Century. I consider that a worthwhile endeavor, since Sharon has been busy using the computer-generated art of Wombo to make tarot art for the Discord, and who knows how some of that might be relevant to this book and others. This is what happens when Toby and I talk. We go down many branching paths, and sometimes they're dead ends. The journey of the poem, the journey of Steamheart, is also a journey for our own conversations. I Mm. will say that as far as what you were saying a moment ago about relating Mm. the forest of the dead from the Mm -hmm. symbology of the poem to Steamheart itself, since we already know that whole swathes of the U.S. have sort of been reclaimed by nature to an extent due to Mm. the fact that humanity is no longer as spread out as it was that the idea of a forest of the dead in general could be Mm. emblematic of the fact that at that time at least when the industrial revolution was still building back up uh, during reconstruction and everything like that the local forest would have been far more tamed in Mm. general But with the coming of the Wendigo, the forest might actually be considered more deadly because of having to deal with them as opposed to dealing with the normal animals of the forest that could be a danger to hunting Mm. humans and everything like that. It certainly would be a 
like a landscape type or like an environment that you would avoid because you're just sort of too susceptible to ambush which means that it is essentially been left for dead and Mm -hmm. also the fact that you're in this landscape that a majority of the population has died Mm -hmm. and yet the landscape of america is filled with these vast stretches of natural environments and that range quite widely Mm. this really is a forest of the dead in the most literal sense so this poem helps to add a sense of foreboding to Mm -hmm. what is to come it naturally dovetails with the opening words of chapter one itself Mm. where annie says each of us would lose something each of us would gain something and not everyone would be coming back. That doesn't mean that the journey itself is bad. It's symbolic of not merely a mythic journey, but also simply that we exist linearly. Life changes us. We cannot go back to the way we were. In point of fact, that theme is one we've brought up multiple times as a result of the entire civilization the entire american civilization but also since the wendigo have spread across other continents everybody's lives have changed to a certain extent there are probably no places on the earth that have not been touched by the dramatic opening of the wind doors and the release of mm-hmm. the wendigo and apparently other strange creatures like say Brayoth, the manticore to affect the natural flow of events. Mm. There's no haven that you can go to that would be like what it was before. There's no hope of, well, if we just go over to Europe, then like the Wendigos never came there. So like life is just advancing as normal. Mm. So you can't really go anywhere. You have to just confront this new world as it is where you are. Regardless of the fact that we've had a major event that has shaped everyone's lives going forward that simple truth that we can only move forwards into our future that's true for you and i as well Mm. i mean we've had a major event as well what with covid changing the landscape for a lot of us but regardless of what we experience on a personal level on a national level on a global level on a societal level We're always moving forwards into our future. Life Mm. and time itself marches us on, leading our sometimes reluctant feet into the unknown. Mm. We come to many forks. We make many choices. And the cities we see in the distance but never come to are the destinations we imagine for ourselves. The goals that we set for ourselves, raising a family or getting a place of our own or getting a promotion or further on in our careers, if that's even a thing for us, honestly. And in the end, our journey is not about the destination. The story of Steamheart, the story of our lives, is about the journey itself. Mm. I, I really like your way of putting that, because it like it does get to what this all-important, almost central aspect of Steamheart is about, which is not just a journey, but like a life-changing one at that. The, the the idea that this journey kind of, there will be a final stopping point because this book has a stopping point, but mm-hmm. it is 
a bottle that contains a sense of just the broader journey that all of these characters mm. are going on. I mean, it seems to me like this opening sentiment, these lines that Annie are speaking and this poem is almost like a contract between the author and the audience. Up to now, we've been experiencing stories that have changed the lives of the people in them, and they have undoubtedly had some implications on a wide range of scales. We've seen the course of worlds, the trajectory of nations, the lives of individuals who mean a great deal to many coming to an end. Just All of this has been affected by the stories we have already gone through. Mm-hmm. And yes, all of the stories we've looked at so far for phase one, and also the one book that we've yet to examine, which was out at this time, Princess Thieves, have a lot to them that will undoubtedly carry over into other stories and have their own effects. Mm. But up till now, there's nevertheless been a sense of the self-contained to the stories that have been told in New Century. We've turned our attention to all these different corners, and the story has a profound effect on that corner and the vague or even explicit implication that these effects will bleed out into the other parts of New Century. But Steamheart takes many of the threads we've been examining up till now and says, some of these will be undone by the end of this book, and all of them will be changed in some way. Mm. This is the author promising us that Steamheart marks a definitive change for the larger state of New Century. The majority of the characters we're familiar with and invested in up to this point have a role to play and will be significantly affected by what happens here and the general status of this world that we've become acquainted with is going to shift in some way before all of this is done new century must change because life must change and this journey is an embodiment of that feeling also, apparently many of Emily Dickinson's poems focused on death, which blends well with the central theme of grief in New Century and ties right in with this foreboding proclamation from Annie. Death is on the horizon. It may feel like a spoiler to suggest that those opening lines of Steamheart are specifically a herald of death. After all, the exact words used are merely, not everyone would be coming back. That's an ambiguous line that could merely mean that some members of the group remained behind. Maybe they were unable to return, maybe they didn't want to return. The lines themselves are not definitive, so that the author can promise a major event or plot twist without being specific about what that event is. But on the other hand, those words are often meant to be an indicator that someone is going to die without coming out and saying it. So it's an understandable conclusion to come to without us directly saying this will definitely happen. The Avengers movie that we compare Steamheart to also had a death, after all. The first four chapters remind us that Carl is no longer with us. And this is a dangerous world and a dangerous journey into the unknown. So for those of you that might be reading along with us and not know what is to come, as we talk a little bit about the symbolism of death, merely be aware that we're talking about potential death of people, rather than ourselves saying for certain that characters you care about will die over the course of this story.
It doesn't surprise me that many of her poems focused on death. I know that with my own little bit of research into her, that she was apparently very taken with religious themes in general. And of course, the religious themes present in this poem, as well as my Mm. favorite, Parting, are self-evident. And death is a natural part of that, because part of the tenets of the belief in the Judeo-Christian God are centered around the idea that living a good life is central to where you go after death. As some would call it, the undiscovered country, once more relating to uh, a journey that has to be taken. I find it intriguing now that you brought up the sense of the tarot, because one of the things that I am familiar with, because my mother gives tarot readings and therefore knows a lot of tarot cards, she always specifies uh, as far as when she does pulls for other people, that death is not meant to be... I know that usually in media, pulling the death card in a tarot reading is usually supposed to be an indication of an actual death that might happen in the story, or might be an ill harbinger of something bad happening later on in the story. My mom would specify that death merely symbolizes change. The tenant of death being a potential consequence of the story that we are about to read. Yes, it's going to be difficult for those that are left behind to face that death, but one should not necessarily view it as being... I'm not sure what word I want to use here. Death is difficult for the living to deal with. I don't personally believe in the concept of an afterlife. It is my opinion that when you die, you cease. And there is a certain degree of peace that I I kind of associate that with. They no longer have anything to worry about once they have passed on. It's those that are left behind that have to deal with the trauma of having this part of their life removed. Given that, to a certain extent, death is inevitable in anyone's life, let alone that it can be a dramatic denouement for a piece of fiction and allows for the writer to talk about how we ourselves as people feel about those that are important to us passing on and everything like that, there is nothing inherently bad about change change itself is a neutral idea it's just that some change affects us poorly and some change does not you know some change helps us move into the rest of our life but Mm. we have to face it regardless yeah so in that way like that tarot card there is kind of the thing that's is the perfect card for this whole book because of what Annie says to start it off that everyone would be changed in some way by the end of it there is death but like that is as you established the transition Mm. the death card no that's good it means transition change oh Oh, that's cute (gasps) the happy squirrel that's bad possibly 
The cards are vague and mysterious. Well, <laughs> so that's the prologue. Hey, we took half an hour and we got the prologue set up. That's what happens when you choose Emily Dickinson as your introduction. I should rather say, not introduction, because the very f- next thing I was going to say is that these first chapters are introductions to the story that we are about to read. Emily Dickinson is setting the scene, setting the tone a little bit, but chapters two through four, by example, starts introducing our main cast of the story. Chapter one starts with the world. And instead of the voice of Arlington, who way back when in the cartographer's handbook explained to us the history, what we were dealing with now, brought in the voices of other people saying, oh, this is what it was like back then in the before times and everything. Here, instead, we start with the voice of Annie Oakley, though the story does not introduce her as Annie Oakley yet. I thought it was very bold of Alex to have Annie sit in a spinning chair and say, now this is the story all about how my life got flipped and upside down. (laughs) Alex has actually gone on to say that Loretta has a really good narrative voice, and I would definitely agree with that. The intriguing part of this first chapter is that For those of us that have been long-term audience members for New Century, having Annie do the introduction puts a human face on the setting that is familiar to us. Mm. Long-time readers also need the introduction less because we know the world already. But nonetheless, Annie exists here both as herself as the character, because she refers to the voyage of Steamheart, but she is also the omniscient narrator, telling the audience things some of us may have known already, and mm. some things that we may not have known because they were not a part of those previous books. All these events that lead up to the current state of events. She then segues into telling the story of Elizabeth Flynn, which helps set the current state of events nicely. Annie as narrator puts us into the action, suggesting it Flynn's escape from a horrible fate, highlighting that she is a female soldier for new readers, and to sort of give a sense of, okay, see, this is an example of how things are different now, because you wouldn't normally have expected female soldiers in Antebellum South in the normal state of affairs. Mm. And it leaves us on a cliffhanger to be resolved later. It Mm. works very well, this first chapter, as a beginning, even for you and I. Totally agree. Flynn in the segment with her is a wise choice for our first perspective to take for the book. Like, this isn't just the introduction and of everything. This is like a book of many characters who we're going to be shifting perspective many times This is kind of the first one we're taking. Mm -hmm. So she becomes, in a way, our first protagonist because Mm -hmm. this little short segment is about her. The narrator Mm -hmm. is taking her point of view, even if it's not being narrated by her. If we were to take one of the heroes of the book that become very important later and start with them, they'd be a character with 
a certain amount of baggage and previous material we'd have to go over with their introduction. And mm. at this stage, and for the purposes of establishing and introducing this world and what this whole book is about, I honestly think that if we had Annie or Butler or James or Abigail or Jeremy or any of the other characters be the first perspective, because as you say, like we're hearing Annie's voice, but it's not really talking about Annie's own experience or mm. like her perspective on it, it would be a distraction because we're dealing with the core material of New Century, like Windows, Wendigos, and human t- determination. So a previously unknown cartographer who clearly has an identity and manages to be, at the same time, not just a blank face, but is also a strong example of the archetypal hero in New Century. It's someone struggling, who's in a nightmarish situation, who, even when dealing with interdimensional scenarios that could dwarf any feeling of personal agency, nevertheless finds the internal strength to get to their feet and think of what the next step is and take it and then the next step and the one after that. Flynn isn't a majorly fleshed out character here, but the basic qualities are all there and they all speak new century to us. I imagine to myself how this would look if it Mm. was actually, say, the opening to a movie. And it naturally makes me think of the opening to the Lord of the Rings movies, which Mm. begins with Galadriel's voice. Mm. In point of fact, we don't know that she is Galadriel yet. She She is just the omniscient narrator. But when we meet her later on, we understand why she works as a narrator, because she is someone that has been around very likely since the beginning of that story, possibly, mm. and so therefore can actually take the point of giving us all of the backstory, all of the mm. uh, descriptive I... detail to set things mm. up. I know what you're thinking. Are we comparing the speaking qualities of Loretta to Kate Blanchett? Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. There is a reason why Loretta has been a constant guiding light throughout mm. all of New Century. She is very good at what she does. But then most of our core cast, all of our veterans, are generally very good at what they do, and they are all more than capable of that. I just think that Alex has agreed with this. She was absolutely the right tone to set for Mm. the opening of Steamheart. When I think about if the movie was actually happening, this is how I began this thought, and she was describing what was going on, reading off this introduction, and there would be like clips of like events taking place in the background, the crashing of the Ismalia on the shores of New York, mm. or, you know, the violence happening in the southern states, all of that. That could be shown in the background as Loretta continues to narrate. And then as the narration tails off and we segue to the forest in Mississippi, just the idea of like seeing the wind door open in space and then mm. all of a sudden Elizabeth Flynn tumbles out of it. There may not be like a whole lot of 
speaking from her. She's just reacting to what just happened, binding her wounds, setting the horses free, muttering to herself as she tries to figure out what happens next. I can picture that very well in my mind, and I don't picture things well in my mind. I kind of need the assistance, usually of visuals, in order to do that. Mm. It's very cinematic. I love it. Completely agree. I think it just has this, like, the scenario alone is enough to sell a feeling. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's that's good enough. Like, it's like the start of Let Them Go, how we have someone who has enough characterization, but we don't need a lot. But, like, the situation they're in speaks enough that you can apply this to, like, very broad. I think, actually, both introductions do accomplish something specific that mm. will feed into the plot details that happen later on but yes. they also manage to just feel like this right here is new century yeah this that's one of the things that i actually noted here in my notes that you responded to this chapter with its first piece and its second piece tell us everything a new reader needs immediately to know mm. doesn't explain everything it leaves it till later in the book to explain the RSA, for example, which is something mm. that the narration drops on us and doesn't explain, but that's okay because it's enough to be like, okay, this gives us a sense of what's going on. We have questions, and the mm. very next chapter, we get an explanation of that. So we get a sense of what this new normal is that we've seen. The Oops. Wendigos, right there. Like. <laughs> The Wendigos agree, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the Wendigos like this first chapter as well. Um, I, <laughs> I feel like I would perhaps need to hear from a reader that hadn't read any of the previous books to know for certain if mm. if all of that works for them. But uh, my suspicion is that it does. It front loads you with the things you immediately need to know, as Robin might say at the beginning mm. of Princess Thieves. And doesn't try to cram too much exposition right yeah. at the beginning. It lets yeah. these things come out organically. Yeah. What do you need to know and in what order is a really tough nut to crack. And I'm glad you brought up Lord of the Rings. And I wonder if this will be like, here's the thing. We can't artificially create what the new penny in the jar, like object of affixation is. It will emerge organically, but Right now, you know, and we're within acceptable realms of, like, reference. So, with Lord of the Rings, Sarah and I have actually been watching the extended mm. editions recently, been loving it, and, uh, like, yes, the comparisons are apt. It's selling us this world in a great order, and it does make me think of, like, the challenges they had with those opening five or ten minutes in mm. Fellowship of the Ring. It's like, where the fuck do you start? How much is important for you to know from Jump Street? And they make it flow and they invoke the right images at the right times to just say, this is what Lord of the Rings is. Like, mm-hmm. it, in the same way that, you know, you get this almighty battle between an alliance of people of different species coming together to fight this almighty thing and against all odds and against all like despair hope wins out that's like okay we've just got ourselves an encapsulation of the lord of the rings experience 
encapsulation is a word that you're going to hear a lot. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So maybe encapsulation is the new penny in the jar, like the subject. <laughs> we'll see. My point is introductions, summaries are hard. And Greg and I are the most biased people on the planet when it comes to this because we know all of this. We have spent two years thoroughly knowing all of this. So I don't know how much that is worth to hear. But mm. at the same time, I think that it's been long enough for us that this does feel like we're starting afresh again. Mm. And we can see that it makes sense on paper. But I would be curious. I think that whether Steamheart as a whole would be something that you would give to a new reader, maybe, maybe not. And like, if they like certain characters, you can go back and see their other stuff. But at the very least, I think that something that might be a decent way to see if someone is interested, feed them this first chapter. And if that scenario is enough, then maybe you work from there. I mean... You did say a moment ago that you were re-watching the extended editions of Lord of the Rings with your wife. Maybe you could play the first chapter of Steam Art for her and see what her <laughs> reaction is? Uh, that that would be an interesting uh, example. Unfortunately, I think that the science and the bias of that is uh, complicated because Sarah has picked up little bits and pieces of New Century. It's a very eclectic range. Mm -hmm. I've often thought it would be very funny to like sit Sarah down and, okay, so Sarah, explain to me the story of New Century and just see how much she gets right and how much is sort of like her having to fill in the blanks. If I was to show this to someone, I, I will... You know what? I think that we've got a long enough time scale with this whole Steam Heart project that mm. I will probably have a chance to play this to a friend or one of my brothers when I next hang out with them. Mm. So I'm going to see from that, I'll just play this episode and then say, okay, so based on that, do you feel like you have a firm enough understanding of what this story is about? Like, All of a sudden, but... I'm feeling like maybe we need to put in the feed a React video that is not you and I reacting to New Century stuff, but just, like, you record your brother's reaction to the first chapter <laughs> of New Century. <laughs> and I, I put that on there. You know what, like, I will, I usually take my microphone with me wherever I go because I like to always be ready to open a window. That's just what I call the recording process for this show, yeah. by the way. It's, yeah, yeah, So... Yeah, this will be a project that I try to make happen. It may not even be that I record like their exact things, but I will report back when I've uh, found a willing test subject for this experiment of ours. Alright. And that's a taste of the content we've already recorded. Toby and I managed to take a full hour to discuss just the poem and chapter one. Tune in next week for chapters two, three, and a bit of four, Followed by our third episode, chock full of a bunch of thoughts, once all our protagonists start getting back together. I'm also going to add in a little bit more editorializing about the various covers of Steamheart, since it's only in editing this episode that I realized we only discussed it in passing during our recording. The covers of previous books have been brought up during our retrospectives, but we haven't focused over much on them over the last couple of books, 
and there are significant details to reveal about the history of Steamheart's two covers. To close us out, a song about a journey, the final track of the first album I bought for myself as a kid. Until next time, this is Phil Collins with We Said Hello, Goodbye. Smile.